Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you are here. Whether you're in this church today or whether you're coming to us from SoundCloud or via podcast or wherever you're coming from, did you know that what you're doing is important to God and God thinks it's important for you to be tuning in? For whenever we take time out of our precious lives, the lives every moment is a gift. And every time we take times out, take time away from something we want to do and we make God important to us, God is pleased with this. This is your first time listening to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and this is Gospel Saving Church. I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. You guys want to join me in a word of prayer, please? We always ask God to bless the service and bless me and bless our ears, because I'm not your teacher, Jesus is, so let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. Thank you so much for being our sustainer and our creator and the lover of our soul. Lord God, you love our souls. Lord God, and you, you, you love our earthly bodies and you love our souls too. And uh, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your, the way you treat mankind, the way you talk to people, the way you talk to me, the way you lead people to you, Lord. We just thank you for every good and perfect gift, even though sometimes we don't think things are good and perfect when they come to us, Lord. We know that whatever you allow to happen to your children is something that you want for good, something that you make for good. So, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this good gift of this good sermon today and this good gift of this beautiful day today and this good gift of our air that we have to breathe and the hearts that are beating in our chest, Lord. Those are all good gifts. We thank you, Lord, and we love you and we praise you. Help us to understand what you have to say to us today. Be our teacher, Lord God. Be God in our lives today, Lord God. Be God. Lord, I pray that we would give you that spot. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 25 through 32 today. But I'm not going to read them or teach them until I give you my thoughts from last week's message. Christians, beware. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Last week I spoke of a few different ideas. The most important of them was of how whenever God moves in mighty ways through people's lives for his kingdom on earth so that amazing miracles and healings and all kinds of great things happen and praise God that all those good things do happen, right? Praise God. I mean, I love when God does awesome things in my life and the lives of people I know, but whenever God moves in those ways, unfortunately, so does that devil. Rears his ugly head and he tries to get in there and stop God's work. He's trying to stop God's soldier from serving God the way God called that soldier to serve God, right? Why? Satan, remember, I told you, Satan knows something about us that we don't even know about ourselves. He knows that whenever he puts pressure on us, whenever he makes things tough on us, most people don't, you know, keep going. Most people, the majority of people, quit. It's just that simple. It gets too hard. I don't persevere on. I quit. I've been guilty of it myself in certain times of my life, and I know people that have as well, too. When times get rough, people quit, and Satan knows it. And I discussed some of the ways that the evil one has come at me recently and in the past to give you some idea of how Satan has attacked me and how Satan just attacks in general. So again, if if you're one of those soldiers that has faced these attacks from the devil, then I just encourage you, again, keep going. Don't let the devil win. The devil wants you to stop. But you want, I pray, 
that you stick it in, God, in his eye and let God win in your lives. But you don't stop. Don't quit and never give up ever. Because you want to know one major thing that the devil hates? He, he hates it when God moves. But why does God move? Why does God move? There, there's, God moves at sometimes on his own because he just does. But there's another reason why God moves, and it's something. It's, it's, it's one of hell's best-kept secrets here. I want you to listen up. Christian soldier, it's one of hell's best-kept secrets. This is what Satan hates the most, and I'll just give you a hint. Is any war won with just one bullet? Think of it. You go on a battlefield and there's a million soldiers against a million soldiers and just one soldier out of the one side just shoots one bullet at those million people. Are you going to win that war? No, not at all. Well, same spiritually. God moves mightily when he gives us work to do. And guess what? Here's what Satan hates. When we stay consistent and we endure through that work and in that work without ceasing or without giving up. That's what Satan hates the most. He knows that's why he wants to stop us, because he knows if we continue, he knows that God will move for the one that perseveres, the one that endures, the one that keeps going, the one that does the work, that keeps going and doing the things that God told him to do, and he hates that, right? Consistency is the key to success. And you can say that's a spiritual fact and a physical law of life, really. Consistency is the key to success. James 5, 16. The effective, listen to that. Why was it effective? Fervent prayer. That means it's something that you're praying hard of a righteous man availeth much. It's something you keep doing is now oh lord you know i just pray for that thing and okay that's it you got it god you're done i'm done that's it no not quite the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much luke 18 3 through 5 uh remember the the old widow goes to the king right and this is an example of what james was saying and she she wanted justice right she she kept going to the king all the time for justice and the king at first said I'm not going to do that. Nah, get out of here. But yet, she kept going. Eight, Luke 18, 3-5. Get justice for me from my adversaries. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, least by her continual coming she weary me. And that was a picture that Jesus gave his children of prayer. And then, of course, the most famous one, Matthew 24, 13. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Notice how the word endure there comes before the shall be saved. That's important, right? So we have to endure so that we can be saved, so that we can continue to do God's work. So if God's called you to prayer and intercession for others, then you be consistent and don't stop. If God's called you to preach his word, Well, then be consistent and don't stop. God called you to evangelize, then be consistent and don't stop. Has God called you to take care of your sick family member? Then be consistent and don't stop. Whatever God has given you to do, be consistent and don't stop until you're done. And speaking from my experience, this is so true. As far as like being, you know, enduring and, and being successful, I've seen many come into ministry. I've served God in ministry for a long time. 
Uh, and, and boy, when they started, they served God strong. <laughs> Woo, I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm a five. Me and my wife could give you a testimony. We started a sign ministry one time. And man, we started that sign ministry. There must have been 15 people there the first week or two or three. Boy, hit about week four, week five. Where was everybody? Well, where did everybody go? Well, everybody starts strong in ministry. But not very many people last very long because it's hard to stay consistent and on course. It's hard. And it's one of those ways that God's called us to be because just as physical war is not one with one, not one with one bullet, neither is the great and terrible spiritual war that we're in either. Not at all. So, soldier of Christ, whom you've been getting attacked and even creamed by Satan often daily, as I know I have myself, don't give up. Keep doing what God's called you to do until he calls you to do something else, no matter how hard it is. For this is what God's desire is for us and how he wants to use us and keep using us in huge and mighty, mighty ways. Praise God. So now, anyway, I hate to get off of that. we got to tone down a little bit. We're going to pick back up later on in the sermon, of course, but I want to get on to our new sermon for today, Acts 5, 25 through 32. The title, I think it's going to make you excited or make you confused or make your head tilt like mine, but the title, you ready? God just gave it to me last night. God only gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Jesus. God only gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Jesus Christ. Acts 5, 25-32. So if you guys want to read it with me, or you can just listen along, whichever you'd like to do. Matthew 5, verse 25. Luke writes this. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those whom obey him, or Jesus Christ. That's where the title of our sermon came to play. That's what God just spoke to me. Now, I know I kind of just jumped in there, verse 25, so just a kind of a recap. So far, we've read about how much God was using the apostles and disciples in mighty ways to preach the gospel and do many signs and wonders and miracles, miraculous works even, right, even including casting demons out of the oppressed, right? And as a result of all these amazing workings, multitudes of people have been both coming from all over to receive the benefit of those signs, wonders, miracles, and miraculous works, but they've also been getting saved too. Praise God for that. This must have been an awesome, awesome time. But as I said, as as good as all those workings were in Acts 5, the devil saw it, hated it all. He just can't stand when God moves rose up against the apostles through the religious leaders and severely attacked them a second time. Remember the first time being in Acts 3 and put them in jail like common criminals again, right? 
Remember, God counters in verse 19 by sending an angel to them to open the prison doors, let the apostles out, and commanding them to go say, hey, go and preach in the temple again, right? He tells them that here in verse 5. Or, um, for chapter 5. Uh, the religious leaders send them, uh, send for them to put them on trial again, yet they get the bad news that, hey, the apostles aren't there anymore, yet even though the guards are. And in verse 24, the religious leaders wondered what the outcome would be. And I close the verse-by-verse teaching on that last section by saying that although the disciples were free, they weren't out of the fire or the frying pan just yet. And I said that because the devil wasn't done trying to take them down, of course. He still had more to go. He still had more attacks to bring on them. So today we read of Satan's continued efforts to destroy the disciples along with a very powerful little mini-sermon that the apostles and slash Peter probably as their main spokesman taught. So let's start. Let's read verse 25 again, and then I'll give, uh, I'll teach you what God has been teaching me throughout the week. Verse 25. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So as the religious leaders are wondering what the outcome of their situation would be with the apostles, one of their sidekicks... One of their helpers realizes the situation and does what any, anyone using logic and wisdom would do. What, what does he do? Well, he hears about this and then what is it? he goes to the last place the apostles were seen frequenting, right? Which was where? It was the temple. And lo and behold, they're there. Big surprise, right? No, not really, right? Uh, apostles were not trying to hide. And since they weren't trying to hide, it was easy to find them. And they were often in the temple doing some kind of work for God. So don't give this, uh, this, uh, this guy here, this, this, this servant of theirs, don't give him any kind of props, right? Don't, give, don't, don't make him feel important. He was no Inspector Clouseau or, uh, or Sherlock Holmes for that spreader. Uh, for for what, kind of, what kind of work did this investigator find the apostles doing? That verse just told us that he found them teaching the word of God again. Again, no surprise. God called them to preach and teach the word of God. And so that's what they were doing. God called them to teach and preach. And he said, okay, Lord, we're going to go and we're going to teach and preach. They were being faithful to God's call on their lives despite the persecution that they had just faced by the religious leaders. The disciples emulate with what they did one of my favorite Christian songs of all time, the opening line of of this song. And And these guys who wrote this song must have really had what the apostles and Paul and all them went through, because this is how this fellow starts this song, and this is what the disciples and apostles emulate here. He says this, I consider my life nothing. If I could just finish the race and complete the job, the Lord Jesus gave me. That's a powerful, powerful line. I consider my life nothing. I am nothing. Hey, this life, it's nothing. It's going to be gone soon. I don't really care about this life. But what I do want to do, I want to finish the race that God's put me in. And I want to complete the job or jobs that the Lord Jesus has gave me. And that's what the apostles were doing right here. Hey, our lives are nothing. Hey, God, you said go preach. You said go do it. By golly, we got to go do it. Every Christian should, at all costs, complete the job or the jobs the Lord Jesus Christ has given them in their lifetime. Because guess what? We're called to be what? A follower of Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did to God. He completed the job 
that God had given him to do. Hey, go down there, do all these miracles, finish, and die on a cross. Give your life for sacrifice for them. And Jesus did it, so if we're his followers, we ought to do the same thing. We ought to be like-minded. We ought to be following Christ exactly with what he did. By the way, and I said this before, in continuing to serve Christ through the persecution, the apostles did exactly the opposite of what the devil wanted them to do. The devil wanted him to quit. He thought, I'm going to bring pressure. I'm going to bring heat. And guess what? They said, nope, we got to be faithful to Jesus. No, I'm sorry, devil. We're, we're not going to quit. And praise God they didn't. What do the religious leaders do next with the info that their pet snoop, sneak, sleuth, and servant brought them? Do they realize their error and, and, and the apostles that are, are really from God and Jesus was really the Christ? Because, I mean, after all these things, wow, we must be wrong. And, sorry, they don't realize they're wrong at all. Uh, they're hard-hearted and they're evil and they're dumb. And look what verse 26 says. Then the captain went off to, with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. So, hey, they see him back in the temple preaching Jesus Christ. They get the news. So instead of going, man, these guys must be from God because, man, we can't even stop them. They say, no, go get them and bring them back here. Wow. Now, now. If these guys really didn't believe in Jesus as the Christ before this this incident, they surely, 100% should have by now. And you say, may say, why? Why, Pastor? I don't, what does that mean? Why? Here, here's why. Because let me tell you what. If the guys that you have arrested for preaching Jesus one day are miraculously free from the prison that is securely guarded by strong men the next day, and they don't flee for their freedom. And they're not running for their lives. Yet they're miraculously back in there doing the same thing that you caught them doing. You commanded them not to do already once. That ought to tell you that there's something supernatural about these guys here. I don't, I don't, that's, that's pretty weird. And to top it all off, they go right back openly to the place that they're arrested the first place. And what does that do? That proves they're innocent, right? If they were guilty, they'd run away. Oh, we don't want that again. Oh, they, we got to run away. No, they went right back to the place that they were caught and arrested in the first place, making themselves sitting ducks just waiting to be arrested again because they knew the devil wasn't done. They knew the religious leaders weren't done attacking them, right? And they go right back to preaching Jesus again. And this should have caused the religious leaders to believe in Jesus as the Christ and them from Jesus and from God 100% with no doubts. I mean, that, 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 that'd be a sign that you just can't, like, how do you, how do you dismiss that sign? These guys are preaching Jesus. The guards are still in the prison. They're gone, and the guards are still there. How did they? How they didn't pay off the guards? Because you know, in those days, if the guards let a prisoner escape, the guards died. So it was not in the best interest of the guards to let anybody go, because that meant their life for the people they let go. So there was no payoffs. There was no. This could have meant their lives. Now the scripture doesn't tell us that they died. I'm not thinking outside of scripture. I'm just saying what has happened before in scripture, right? So there's a miraculous sign here that that should have that God was reaching out to these religious leaders with here that they just rejected. They just were like, oh, whatever, right? Instead, verse 26 tells us that they send a captain and some officers of the Roman guard to get them to bring them back so that they could put them what on trial again. They, they went and got them so they, just so they can put them on trial again. But notice 
Verse 26 also said that the, they had to get them carefully, right? They had to get them kindly, right? They couldn't, they didn't want to get them harshly because otherwise they would have been stoned, right? As a whole, because of the grace God had given these apostles, the people were really in approval of the apostles. The people were really in approval of the Christian faith and of the church as a whole, right? They loved them, right? And what did they love most of all, I'm sure? Well, they loved those miracles that they were doing. Everybody was coming from around and getting healed and laying hands on people. Hey, Peter's pet shadow was falling on people. I'm alive. I'm, I'm, I'm up. I'm that, that was pretty awesome, right? Reminds me here of what happened with a situation with Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. Remember, Jesus gives some these religious leaders, these kind of these same people in their same kind of group. Maybe they were Pharisees, these were Sadducees. He's kind of giving some parables against them. Hey, you know this, that, and the other thing. And he was just sloshing them. He was just smashing them, right? He was saying all these parables to, to attack them in a sense, to show them that they were wrong, to show them that they weren't being godly. And so they realized at one point, hey, he's giving, he's giving those parables against us. And what did they want to do? The scripture says that they wanted to kill him. Yeah, verses 45 and 46 said, man, boy, we better get them. We want to get them now. We want to kill them. But, boy, if we do that now, all these people around, they're going to stone us. They're going to kill us. We better not do that. And so they ended up leaving, right? <laughs> because the people thought and knew Jesus was from God. In both of these situations, the religious leaders of the Roman lawmen didn't really want to go against the multitude or mobs of people for, being, for fear of being stoned. I mean, that's really why. When hundreds and thousands of people get angry and they're all together, what you... What you create is you create a mob. And it's a mob mentality, right? And these mobs, they get volatile quickly. They get volatile like in the snap of a hat. I mean, you, you see it with Paul in the book of Acts. We're going to see it later. And, and these here could have gotten the same way. So that's why what they do, they brought them in a kind way. They brought them in and now, hey guys, could you could you come with us? You know, I could hear them now. Hey, let some people want to have a have a meeting with you, have an interview with you. Uh, and you know, of course, though, that if they wouldn't have been there, if the apostles just would have been there by themselves, you know that they wouldn't have been kind and they wouldn't have been nice. So these lawful or, or, or lawmen or unlawful men, I should say, is more like it. Do what they were told by the religious leaders and look at verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. They just doing what they were told. What's the response of these evil-hearted religious leaders that were supposed to be leading the people to God and ministering and ministers of the most holy God of Israel who were really frauds? And the high priest asked them, saying, verse 28, Did we not strictly, listen to these words, listen to these harsh words, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, those really weren't nice words. They really weren't being kind at all. What was the result of the apostles' preaching that made these religious leaders so mad? Look at the rest of verse 28. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They weren't just mad that they were preaching Jesus. They were mad that they were pointing out what they had done to Jesus, putting the blood of Jesus Christ on their head. The apostles were on fire for God in Christ Jesus, finishing the job the Lord Jesus gave them to do. And although the hypocritical religious leaders told them to stop preaching Jesus Christ, they could not obey. Why? They couldn't contain their zeal for Jesus, and they just had to preach the gospel and the good news and tell people what Jesus Christ had done for all humanity. Christians today listening to me in this message, where is your zeal for God to tell others of his Son? 
Where is your zeal to stand up like these apostles and be a light for Jesus Christ? And in case you didn't know, maybe this isn't your calling, maybe this isn't your gifting. Well, I'm not called to be an event, but the Bible says that Jesus and God gave this kind of command to all people. Say, hey, shine like a light for Jesus. Let people know that you love them. Hey, share Jesus Christ with people. This should be the MO or the mode of operation for all true Christians all over the world. And if it's not, shame on us. If it's not, shame on us because we're being disobedient to what Jesus told us to do. I prayed last week that every true Christian all over the world would have a the testimony that these believers had before these religious leaders, the first part of 28, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. God desires the lands and the jobs that are all around every true child of God to be filled with the true doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is the eternal life-saving doctrine, by the way. What is Peter and the apostles' response to these guys' charges? Look at verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. In other words, what did he say? Counsel, we're guilty as charged. Yep, we got it. We're guilty. We accept the charges you bring against us, and we know that we're guilty in your eyes. But hey, guess what? God told us to do it, and we can't not obey him and the work that he's called us to do. But for you, we're not going to obey on this. Were they right to disobey the religious leaders and their command to them to not preach Jesus Christ? Well, as a whole, God through Paul, Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is, these were these guys, right? For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgments on themselves. So, yes... Breaking the law of the land by those that are set above us is sinful in God's eyes. You see, what is sin? Now, it's the essence. The Greek word is missing the mark. But in our terms now, it's doing anything that God says not to do. That's sin. God says, don't do this. You do it. That's sin, right? Same as, but everybody misses this one. Did you know that not doing something God wants you to do is sin also? Right, And God wants his kids to obey the laws of the land, so it's sin if we, do, if we don't. Moses says in the Old Testament with the children of Israel, Shall I sin against God and not pray for you? Because God has called us to pray for one another. So God wants us to obey the laws of the land. If we don't, we sin. So were Peter and the apostles in sin for not obeying the governing authorities and religious leaders of Judaism? Normally they would have been. Remember, even Jesus said, Matthew 23, 3, uh, do as they say, not as they do. Even Jesus gave that command. Hey, I know their lives, they don't live by what they say, but whatever they say to you, that's what you should do. So, uh, but were they? Were they in this case in sin for breaking the laws of these religious leaders? And I would say no. But you say why? Right? They were not in in, in sin for disobeying these religious leaders in this section, but why? Because you see, Jesus Christ commanded in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. you see, And since he told his servants to do something specific, that is the law that they and we are to go by. 
and not the law that the religious leaders had made them, that guess what? It contradicted what Jesus Christ and what God had given his children to do. Uh, If you are a child of God, a born-again child of God, and he gives you a command in his word to do something, or like I said, not to do something, but the governing body in your land says that you can do it, or they say that you can't do it, something God's told you you should do, You are bound as a child of God to keep God's word and God's law and not the one that contradicts God by the man's law of the land. That's what we see in scripture here. Examples so you can really fully understand what I'm saying here, right? I'll talk on these a little bit. God's law says this. We just read it. Obey the governing bodies of laws in the land. Basically obey whatever the land's laws say, whether you agree with them or not, obey them. That would include the speed limits. <laughs> that would include, you know, if it says 55, do 55. If it says 60, 65, or 70, do 60, 65, or 70. But what's man's unwritten law? What does man say about the speed limit? Oh, well, hey, we can do five over. That's what they allow you to do, five over. Yeah, God said, obey the law of the land. But man says five over. Who do you listen to? Well, you... You listen to God. Bible says, obey the law and do whatever God says. Anything you don't do, whatever God says, that's sin. So that would be sin in God's eyes. Breaking the law of the land, you're breaking the speed limit, no matter what man says to do. How about another one? Oh, our country here of America, we've made abortion legal. Oh, it's okay. I'll kill millions of babies since Roe versus Wade. Yet God's law says, Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. And yet babies and little children, that's murdering if you abort them and you're killing them and you're murdering them. So is it okay for a child of God to murder their baby in the room and have an abortion? Not according to God's law, even though the law of the land said it was okay. You see see where I'm going with this? Uh, How about this? The unwritten law of hypocrisy. I love this one. This one, this one's one of my favorites, right? Adults, oh, well, what do we see with adults? They can use profanity. Hey, adults can swear and say whatever they want because, you know, I'm an adult. I can, I'm a free, I can do whatever I want. Yet, God's law says, let no profane and unclean thing come from your mouth. So you see, the unwritten human law, and even in our world, it's not even against the law to say profane and swearing things and, and all kinds of evil things. Yet, God's law says, don't say those things. So if you use those things and you're a Christian, then God says you're sinning. If you're swearing and speaking all kinds of perverse things, God says that you're swearing, even though the law of the land said you're okay. How about this one, number four? My, my least favorite one of all time, one that I've probably gotten in an argument with my father over for, at one point, the unwritten law of, of old right, passed down to me from my father, from his father, and probably I, I'm speaking to people out there. Your dad probably told you this too. Don't talk to people about religion or politics because that just makes for arguments. And that's an unwritten law that people have been passing down for I don't know, hundreds of years. Yeah, what did Jesus say? Go ye therefore in all the earth and preach the gospel. Talk to people about Christ. Talk to people about religion. Talk to people about things. That's what God wants you to do. Do you see my main points to these things? Christians, as a 100% rule of thumb, God says, keep the law or the laws of the land or your society. Uh, because this is his desire for you to follow and obey. But, there's always a but. In every scripture, there's always a but. But as you can see by the few examples I've given in some cases, 
the law or the laws of the land contradict God's laws and God's ways. And as a child of God, we should not obey man's laws, the ones that contradict God's. We should obey God's laws. And that's just what the Bible says. Is Peter done answering these hypocritical religious leaders? Nope. He's got a little bit more to his mini sermon, right? He says, we're not just going to tell you that we're not going to obey you and we're going to obey God in the matter of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 30 through 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Remember one of the things the religious leaders were angry with the apostles, verse 28. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us, right? That's what they said. Well, here we have it right from Peter's mouth. The apostles were, in fact, not being shy about telling people who was responsible for the death of Christ. And what do we see the religious leaders? One of the reasons why they're mad. They're not only mad because the doctrine of Christ and salvation is going to the land. They're mad because just like Adam and Eve, who got their hand caught in the cookie jar, right? They were caught sinning, right? Did they like that? No, they didn't like that. Nobody likes when they're caught in sin. And of course, these guys were caught with their hand in the cook jars like Adam and Eve. And I could hear Peter, apostles now, you, and I'm sure they said it boldly, murdered Jesus Christ by hanging him on a tree. And they were preaching that throughout the whole world. And religious leaders, well, they don't like who likes when their sins pointed out. I don't know one person, do you? Whenever somebody says, hey, this is sin, man, you're doing, oh, man, oh, no, no. the first thing people are going to do, argue, right? Nobody likes it when you point out their sin, right? <laughs> but here, so here, they don't like it, right? Uh, anyway, mo- moving on, he says, you murdered him by hanging him on a tree. What does that mean? Jesus wasn't hung on a tree. He was hung on a cross. Well, you see, Peter, or apostles here, are pointing out Deuteronomy 21, 21, 23, excuse me, where God spoke to his children of Israel back then, hey, don't leave, anybody you put on a tree is cursed. Well, a cross is made from the wood that's on the tree. So Jesus, if you think about it like this, this is what Scripture's telling us, this is what Peter was telling them, Jesus was cursed for us. And that's what the Bible says. Jesus became our, he became the curse so that we didn't have to. He took the sin penalty on himself so that we wouldn't on ourselves if we don't want to. Everybody has a choice and some people do, but I'm not. Anyway, they go on in verse 31. Him, of Jesus Christ, God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Preaching of where Christ is right now. Where is he right now? Bible says he's at the right hand of God, right? And how, listen to this, God exalted him for finishing the work that he gave him to do. Jesus Christ was not as exalted before as he is now. You can't be exalted to something if you were already there to begin with, right? And how he, as Peter said, or the apostle said here, and how he became the Prince of Peace and our Savior. Jesus was not the Savior of mankind, but he is the Savior of mankind right now because he finished the race that God gave him to do. And the why Jesus Christ did it all anyway, I love this part, to be able to grant repentance and forgiveness to God's chosen people, Israel, and apostles don't know it yet, They're about to find out pretty soon, though, that not only, as Isaiah speaks about, prophesied thousands of years before that, not only was repentance and remission of sin and salvation going to come to the Jewish people, but it was also coming to the Gentiles. As I said, Isaiah, just reading it last night in the Bible, and, and he will be a light to the Gentiles. 
Wow. Isn't that exciting for non-Jewish people? We get to have salvation too, right? Amen, right? Woo! And, uh, and he finishes his second mini-sermon with verse 32. We're going to spend the most of our time in our sermon with this. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those whom obey him. They were firsthand witnesses, I might add, the most powerful witnesses of all. And, and did you catch that? The title, I've already pointed out, that the last, very last thing that the apostles finish with their words in this mini-sermon, because they bring up kind of an interesting concept here. Kind of like, that's what God gave me the title. It's a very interesting title. Going to make people go, really? Obey Jesus? Mm, I know already out there, the, 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 the biblical Christians are going to be going, oh, Pastor Ed, you can't be saved by works. And obey is a work. and you can't. I know, I'll, hold on, hold on. But the very last words, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those whom obey him or Jesus Christ. Now the scripture says it, not me. Not me. I didn't say that. The scripture says that. So no, before you go, oh, but we're not, I know, I know, I'm going to explain it all. Hold on. But the apostle said it, not me. And also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those whom obey Jesus Christ. Did you just get that? He only gives the Holy Spirit to those whom obey Jesus Christ. Bible says that God only gives his Holy Spirit to those whom he's saving those whom he's redeeming, and those whom he puts on the path of salvation. That's, that's the only people that get the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He called it being born again, right, in John 3, 3. And he said, if you're not born again, that's getting God's Holy Spirit within you, then you're never going to see the kingdom of God. So what the apostles just said make my, made my head tilt, and, and, and I, I don't know what, you know, what do you think? What are you thinking? Only those get the Holy Spirit whom obey Jesus Christ. So only those that are getting to be born again, only those that are going to be saved, are the ones that will obey Jesus. Notice how it said the obedience was first, which is kind of a little mixed up. Uh, Why did this make my head, head tilt? Well, the Bible says clearly salvation is not of works or by works. Paul, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Speaking of the salvation, by the way, not the faith, as the Calvinists like to say, that's of the salvation is the gift of God, not the faith, right? Everybody has faith, Romans 1 tells us that. Anyway, not of works, verse 9, least anyone should boast. So what's up with that? Did Peter in Acts 5 not get the same memo from God as Paul did? Or was Paul off his rocker? Maybe he thought he heard God, but really he was hearing Satan when he, when he said, when, when he, he wrote in Ephesians 2, hey, that salvation was not of works. Or maybe, we got to look at this, we got to look at this too, this option too. Maybe these two apostles or these apostles and Paul were just contradicting one another. And so now we really just can't trust God's word, right? Because, I mean, if someone says that we have to obey Jesus to get the Holy Spirit, which is the obedience comes first, right, and the salvation comes next, and one says that the salvation doesn't come by works, but it's by grace through faith, maybe they're just in contradiction. Maybe we just can't trust the whole Bible. Maybe we just got to just, just throw it out, right, because we can't trust it. Well, that's not the case. Although these two sections of Scripture seem to be in contradiction. They are not. And I assure you that I'm going to show you also. And and believe it or not, but what apostles say here in Acts 5 and what Paul says in Ephesians 2 don't contradict one another, but really they agree with one another and really they complement one another as well. How's that you say? Well, listen, I'm going to break it down. 
Paul says in Ephesians 2 that salvation, his free gift, right? The free gift that he gives to all mankind, salvation, comes by his grace. And what is that? That's a term that you've maybe heard in church before. That's getting what we don't deserve. But what is, what is getting what we don't deserve? Well, the Bible defines the word grace in the Greek means this. Getting God's goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. We get that. God, that's God's grace. He pours out His grace. We get what we don't deserve. His goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Praise God for that. Praise God that he gives us what we don't deserve, or we can receive what we don't deserve, I should say anyway, through then our faith. What is that? Our putting our full hope, trust in Jesus Christ, and his perfect sacrifice on the cross for our eternal life, and to have a relationship with God through him. And in a nutshell, and, and just simply as that, that's how a saving relationship with God works. God's salvation comes to man by his giving people something they don't deserve, by our faith of taking it, right? Of receiving it, right? And none of these good things of salvation come by any work of goodness or righteousness or the keeping of his law on our part. Zero, zilch, zippo, nothing. Never at all. And this is true, and this is what God says in his word. And anyone that tells you differently, so just to say salvation comes by works, what the disciples or apostles are seemingly saying in Acts 5, they are not from God, nor do they belong to God. They are lost. They are apostate from the true faith of Christ. And sadly, more importantly, they are not saved. They're not on the path of salvation. How can I say that? Well, this biblical concept of grace through faith for salvation goes all the way back to Genesis 15, 6 with Abraham. When Abraham believed God, not just a mental belief, Abraham put his total faith, because that word believe in Scripture, a lot of people think, oh, it just means just a belief. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Sorry, you better, do your, you better be like a Berean and check out the Scriptures. It means putting your faith, your hope. Abraham put his faith and hope in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, Abraham didn't do any work. Abraham didn't do any works of righteousness, so God would accept him and say, oh, okay, come on in, man. You, you worked hard. You, 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 you know, took care of those sheep. You, you, ra- you know, raised your kids, and you, you took care of your wife. Come on in, man. You were a good man. God's never laid down any ways of righteousness to keep for anyone to earn their salvation, even since the days of Abraham. Never once did God say, if you just do this righteous deed, and and you just keep doing these righteous deeds all the way till you die, then, oh, you're saved. That's false. That's a false doctrine. That's what most Christian churches, most apostate churches, most false religions teach you today. And they have for forever. Salvation comes by your doing good works. Salvation, the Bible says, comes by God's grace through our faith, and no good work or works can earn anyone their salvation in God's eyes. And that's just what we read through the Bible, period, the end. And that's, there's, no, there's no debating that. But you see now... Now we have this seeming contradiction. We have the apostles saying in the close of this mini-sermon in Acts 5, God gives his Holy Spirit, so makes people born again, to anyone who obeys Jesus. So that would be the obedience would be first, and the salvation came after. It seems like works. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. So why is it not? And how can anyone obey Jesus Christ without that obedience being work? 
It's actually quite simple. So here we go. Jesus taught a lot of things, actually. Jesus taught a multitude of things, really. In fact, John says in the end of his gospel, of everything Jesus did, and I'll add probably taught, because we only have three and a half years of his life, and at that we only have what's written about those three and a half years of his life. If you were to take everything that he did and probably taught, that all the books of the world would not be able to contain the things, right? Wouldn't be able to be written down, right? The things he taught the most. And this is the most, okay? He taught his disciples or his followers how they ought to follow him after they become born again. So the good works that they should do after they begin to follow him. That's what he taught the most. Examples. Let me point out examples. And these are just a few. And you're going to be like, oh, Pastor Ed, come on, a few? Right, these are just a few. He called his children after we're his children to evangelize. He called us to tithe. He called us to pray. He called us to fellowship, cast out demons, heal the sick, disciple, teach the word, the way to pray, the ways not to pray, the way to give uh, money, the ways not to give your money. In regard, and he taught us how not to, how to live in regards to sin, how how to live in holiness. With those again, just being a few. He taught more than that. Those were just a few. I could go on and on, and. On and 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 on about all the actual things that he told his children to do. There's just a few, right? Uh, but that's enough for my point today. And apostles didn't say that anyone becomes born again or saved by these types of obedience to Christ, did they? No, they didn't. They didn't at all. You can assume that. But that's not what you should assume. There's a, there's a nasty acronym on that word, and I won't say it because it's not a godly thing, but you don't assume you look at God's word, they meant what they said, and what they said was true, and it actually matches up with Ephesians 2, but it's, they did not say, obey what Jesus Christ told you to do, and all the works that he told his children to do, and then you're going to be saved. They did not say that. And they didn't say that same as a person, think about this in logical terms on earth now, right? Same as a person doesn't get the on-the-job training or begin to be able to be able to work for the business before they're actually really hired, right? Think about it. You walk into the local grocery store and you step behind the counter and you say, oh, next, come on over here. They're going to look at you and go, excuse me? Well, yeah, I'm going to work today. Well, have you been hired? What's your name? Oh, I don't need to be hired. I'm, I'm just going to step behind here. Here, over here, please. I'll take your money over here. What, what do you think they're going to do? Well, they're going to call the cops, because you've got to be hired first before you can work for the company, right? That's just logics, right? God, same thing. Got to be hired by him. Same as must be, uh, same as with God. You must be hired to become a spiritual child of God and hired by him before he expects you to do any work for him or give you, he gives you any on-the-job training to be able to do what he wants you to do. Because guess what? This is a, this is a novel idea, and you just don't hear this in many churches, but guess what? People just aren't born saved. People aren't born redeemed. No, I'm sorry. John 1, 12, Jesus said himself, to as many as received him, can a, can a, can a three-year-old, or can a, can a two-month-old receive Jesus? No, they, I'm not saying that infants go to hell if they die. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when they reach the age of accountability, they either have to receive Jesus or not because nobody's born saved. Well, I used to have people on the streets all the time. Oh, are you a Christian? Oh, I love Jesus. Well, how do you love? Oh, I was born a Christian. I was born a Christian. Oh, no, I'm sorry. John 1, 12, Jesus said as many as received him. That's something you have to do. 
Something they had to act on. They had to act on something he did that they had to receive. So it's not by works. To them, listen, he gave the right to become children of God. So they weren't, and then they had to receive him, and then they became the right to be a child of God. So they got hired first, and then the works are coming afterwards. That's what the Bible says. It's pretty logical. So if Jesus didn't tell people, or the apostles aren't telling people, hey, be saved by all these good works and doing all these Christian things that Jesus wants his children to do, what else did Jesus teach that would relate to this topic that people have to do to be obedient to for or in order to become born again, as the apostle said in 532, right? Acts 5.32, to those whom obey Jesus, God gives his Holy Spirit. So the obedience comes first. We taught people how to become his spiritual children in the first place, of course. Because he desires that all come to be God's spiritual children, born again, for us to receive him. Because he doesn't want us to perish and go to hell. 2 Peter 3.9, right? So what did Jesus teach that we have to be obedient to? So how we receive him to become a spiritual child of God and born again, our faith, you say, right? Because God's free gift by his grace through our faith. So what is what does it look like, right? What does it look like? What do we have to receive or obey that he did to receive him? Now, I want to I wanna just up front here. I want to tell you, if you don't want to be saved, close your ears, okay? Because God's going to tell you right now the biblical truth of how to really become born again and how to really get saved. It's not by pray this prayer and it's not by, well, just, you know, ask Jesus into your heart. He's going to give you the real way. So this is how a person becomes born again and what teaching Jesus Christ says to be, the Bible says, apostles say, you have to be obedient to so that God gives you his Holy Spirit because in case you do really want to be saved by the Bible, not by the preacher man that you heard one time that told you something that wasn't in the Bible. Here's what you want to listen to because Jesus says it right here. He taught this. And this is what we have to be obedient to in order to receive God's Holy Spirit. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. This is what Jesus taught. If anyone because he says this to his disciples, but he's not talking to them because he's talking to anyone. He's basically telling them, hey, I know you've already done this, but for anyone else now, hey, this is what they have to do what you've done. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. What's that? Well, let me finish. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, I want you to notice something. If anyone desires to come after me, that means that they, they're, man, I want to come, I want to follow Jesus. How do I follow Jesus? I, I see Jesus. It's God's free gift. It's his salvation. He gave it by grace. We didn't deserve Jesus. That's all by grace. That's all the salvation by grace. But, but our faith, how do I do it? Let him deny himself. Well, that's you just said there, Pastor, you got to stop sinning. No, no, no. Deny self biblically means that you deny your self-lordship over your life that God gave you when you were born. Because everybody owns and rules their own life. Everybody is the, let's say, captain of their own ship, right? That's what the Bible says. But Jesus said here, if you want to follow me, you need to lose that. Give that up. Deny yourself. It means surrender. Turn to God, raise up your hands and go, I'm yours. Hey, 
Everything I have is yours. I'm yours. I surrender to you. You, Lord, are my Lord. I, you, I want you to make you my Lord. You, I want, you are my master, and I'm, and, and I'm going to bow down to you. I bow my knee now to Jesus Christ. He's number one in my life. This is the point of salvation. This is the point where we take our faith and we bow down. This is where salvation happens. Then look what happens. Then he says, secondly, now, this is after the salvation comes, let him deny himself. Well, what does that mean? I'm sorry. Let him take up his cross. Excuse me. I missed the words there. Let him take up his cross. Well, then after you're saved, this is what God expects of you. What do we relate with a cross? Well, the crucifixion. The, the the crucifying of the flesh. That means that God says, after you're saved, I want you to depart from evil. As one of the great Psalms says, depart from sin, depart from evil. Do not live in the practice of any willful sin anymore. And then he follows with, and follow me. Meaning, follow the teachings that I gave you. So, Surrender, repentance, surrender, coming to Christ. Hey, I'm yours. Then, okay, then after you're hired, now you got work to do, my son. Now you got work to do. Now pick up your cross. Now, you know what? I know you lived in that sin. No, get out of it. Hey, I expect you to live holy. Be holy. And then follow the teachings of Jesus. Then he goes a little bit deeper to help people really understand this life-changing surrender he wants to have from you, this being saved and born again of this, this denying self, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Hey, if you love your life and you love it that much and you love being Lord over it that much, you're going to lose your eternal life. Because then he says next, but whoever loses his life, hey, I don't, Lord, this life is yours for my sake. Hey, I surrender my life unto you. Then he will find it meaning eternal life. Now he said, Jesus put the keeping away from sin, crucifying the flesh with all its passions and doing the good works of following him after we got hired, not before. You got to be hired by God before you can do any works of righteousness and live a life apart from sin and obedience to him. By the way, the surrender life heart part Jesus speaks of in Matthew 16 is the type of faith that we are to be saved by. That's the faith that Paul's, that, that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, right? It's by, by salvation, by grace, through faith, right? The faith is a total surrender faith unto God. So as I said, the apostles and Paul don't contradict one another. They complement one another. No works to be saved, period, the end, by grace through surrender life and heart faith. Think of that. I'm going to say that again. By grace through surrender your life and your heart to Christ faith. So obedience to Jesus Christ and what he taught on that, right? Because that's what he taught. And obedience to him. Yes, you shall be born again. Powerful. Isn't it all? It's just powerful. So no contradictions. Clear way to be saved. But, but more importantly, we can look at the scripture all day long. But what about you? 
What about you that are listening to me out there? Have you been obedient to Christ and the way he's taught you in Matthew 16 so that God would put his Holy Spirit in you so that you'd have a real relationship with God so you can actually go to heaven when you die instead of, and, and are you staying on that path? Or did you just pray a prayer one time? Or do you just believe in, oh, Jesus is great. He's my BFF. Oh, Eli, I can do we we pal around all the time. I believe in him. But then how do you live? Do you live like you believe in Jesus Christ for real? Do you believe it? Do you live like you believe it, right? Do you believe and live like you believe? And is that what your life shows? Because Jesus was pretty clear as to how to receive him in order to be born again. Deny self. Faith, surrender. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Then now that you're saved, okay, now you've made me your Lord, pick up your cross. Deny that flesh. Don't just live in the same sinful ways that you were. No, 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 God, God doesn't like that. God hates sin. And if you've got God living within you, he's going to say, hey, stop sinning. And then now, okay, hey, all that, follow me, Jesus said. Follow me. Do the things that I said for you to do. Pick up the teachings that I've told you to do. And do those things. Please, people, ladies and gentlemen out there, examine yourself and your life and your lifestyle today. So many people believe themselves to be saved and go into heaven when they die, but then when their lives are examined and held up against the Bible and what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16, they fail the test big time. You see all around in your world, if, you, if, you've, if you've been obedient to Jesus Christ's teachings, if you've surrendered and you've gotten this new heart and new mind that Paul talks about in, second, in, uh, in the Bible, right? You see that people don't live what Jesus is their Lord and their Master. Because why? How can you tell? Because they themselves and their desires are the center of their worlds. Boy, you really see that on Facebook, can't you? Really see it on Facebook. What are a lot of people's profiles? And all, all their pictures are about themselves. Every picture on Facebook is one of them in a different pose. Especially very pretty women and very pretty young girls. Every picture. If they got 100 pictures on there, 99 of them are just them alone. And maybe one or two of them. They're maybe them and their friends or something. But nothing about... But they'll... But they'll oh, religion, Christian. Religion, Christian. But they and their desires are the center of their worlds. They live willful, sinful ways as lifestyles. Practicing fornication and adultery and swearing like sailors and, oh, but I love Jesus. Oh, but I love Jesus. That's, I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible says. They don't follow Jesus Christ in the ways that he taught his children that they should live. They use profanity, watch TV, watch videos, listen to music that not only aren't Christ-like, but absolutely go against the ways that Jesus Christ taught his followers to live. Yet they say they know Jesus, they say they love Jesus, but really they know of Jesus. They don't know Jesus intimately because they've never taken the step of surrender so that God would hire them so that they would be born again. Oh, and then that's not all when you examine their beliefs. You know, let's examine their beliefs. They don't even believe basic biblical things. Oh, I love Jesus. Uh, but you know what? Jesus Christ isn't the only way to heaven. You know, come on. Uh, you know, 
other religions can go to. And you know, as long as you're a good moral person, hey, I was saved because I got baptized. Hey, uh, hey, works. Oh man, I'm a good. I do good works. God sees the works that I do, and, and you know, and good people. Well, good people, even though Jesus said there were none good, but God. Yeah, but good people. You see, hey, no matter if they're atheists or pagans or Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or or maybe you know that axe murderer. You know, I mean, he really he really straightened up after he went to prison. He's still a he's still a good person now. You know, he changed. You know, he saw that. Oh, see, he's doing good things now. Oh, they, you know, everybody gets to go to heaven. You know, it's, all the good people get to go to heaven. And God doesn't send anybody to hell. People that profess to be Christians actually believe this garbage. Even though the Bible said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And we saw it. Deny self. Pick up cross. Deny flesh. And then follow after me. Where are your following Jesus Christ's ways? Where are your keeping away from sin? Things that God hates. Where are you if you are truly saved? Ladies and gentlemen, when someone becomes born again because they have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, the type of faith in Ephesians 2, this means that your life changes. You rely on God. He's your all in all. You can't live doing the same sinful things that you did before you were born again if you're continuing on this path, if you've not backslidden. Your focus is now on Him and how, and, and how He wants you to live and not you in the ways in the centered around your life. That's not a Christian. A, a true Christian, somebody that's surrendered, sin is decreasing in your life and holiness is increasing. I'm not saying we become perfect. We still do sin. I'm sorry to say, unfortunately, I hate, but I hate it. And do you hate sin? Or do you live willfully in it? If you're changed, if you're saved, if you've surrendered, you'll desire to, to and, and you will spend time with Jesus Christ in prayer. You'll read his word and you'll desire to spend time with him, with other true born-again children as well, too. These are just some, some of the things that you're going to experience. If you've surrendered, you won't even think the same as you did before. Before you surrendered to Jesus Christ, before you became obedient to what he taught you on how to get hired by God. Please examine your life, your ways, your beliefs today, and ask yourself, do these ways, do my, does my life line up with what the Bible says it means to be a true born-again person, a new creation or creature in Jesus Christ, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you find that your lifestyle doesn't match up, please today have faith, use your faith, and surrender. Raise your hands up to God, open palms, and say, God, I need you. I realize I'm not right with you. Save me, please. I I don't want to live this way anymore. I want want you to change me. I want to be this new creature. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I see that I'm wrong. Do you really want him? Do you really want him? Because he really wants you. Do you really want him? Because he really wants you. And please, Matthew 16, 24, 25, do it right now. And don't wait a minute. I'm not going to lead you into prayer. I'm going to tell you if you're there, fall on your face and cry out to God and weep and ask God to forgive you for your sins. Ask God to forgive you for all the years you, you lived in absolute 
total rejection to him and your ways, yet you say you knew him. Please turn now. He's waiting for you. He wants to hire you. He's always hiring. Boy, God loves you so much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word and thank you for your message. Thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given me yet another week to speak, Lord. Lord, I, every, every week when I begin, I have no idea what the sermon's going to be about, Lord. I have no title, Lord. <laughs> I barely know the verses because I'm you know, reading my Bible throughout the week. And until I actually read the verses and I see what you have, and then I actually pray, Lord, and then you give it to me, Lord. So, I, you know, Lord, these are your words. Yeah, just, just spoken through me, Lord. I pray, dear God, right now for those that are out there that are yours. Lord, as, as Peter and the apostles said, were doing, that they regarded their lives as nothing to just finish the race and complete the job the Lord Jesus gave them. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that, if, that those that are listening to me out there that are your true children, I pray, dear God, that they would continue, Lord, to be faithful to do the things that you've called them to do. Please, God. Help them, strengthen them. As you you know, I asked you that very same thing this very morning, Lord. Help me to do what you've called me to do because, Lord, I'm, I'm beat, I'm wore out, I'm exhausted. Help me, Jesus, help me. And here we are, and you did. You're so faithful. <laughs> You're so faithful. And, and God, please, for those that are listening that are self-deceived, Lord, I pray that the Scripture would shine a light on their self-deception, Lord, and wake them up. And that they would turn to you, Lord God. Whether they've fallen away from you, Lord, or whether they've never known you, Lord, they're in the same spot. Jesus, Matthew chapter 25, said that all those, whether they are yours or whether they've fallen away from you, they're all going to the same place. They're all going to hell. God, please bring them back to you or to you for the first time. Please, God, draw them up out of the muck and the mire and draw them back to Christ. Your love is so good. And Lord, you're always hiring. Thank you, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.